Good morning. A couple of things before I get started. Tonight is, uh, we're going to have the CRA chorus come sing, and we're going to support them, support their families. We're all going to wear our t-shirts. I know that Wednesday didn't go so well, but tonight we're going to be on the ball, we're going to wear our t-shirts, and we're going to show them that we support them, not only uh, those that are singing, but their whole families. Uh, so why don't you come do that? And don't forget, is just, just as important as wearing these shirts, do not forget your uh, crock pot. This is crock pot pot luck. That is the coolest thing. I wished I had thought of it that I have ever heard in my entire life. If it fits in a crock pot, bring it. You can cook dessert in a crock pot, not just dinner. Bring your crock pot and, and feed these people. It's going to be awesome uh, and come to eat with us. I want you to look at that title slide and think with me. What I want to know is, is, do you dads and sons and daughters, do you have your Mother's Day gift ready? And, and about this time, you may be sweating. What do you mean Mother's Day gift? It's not Mother's Day. That may confuse you. You may look at that and be a little confused. It's not Mother's Day. But I want to talk about Mother's Day this morning because I'm not preaching here on Mother's Day. And my mom, it takes me every week. She says, Jonathan, are you preaching? Are you preaching? Are you preaching? And the, she only gets to watch me on these YouTube videos. And this week she's getting one, and she doesn't know she's getting her Mother's Day uh, sermon. And, and, and by the way, I don't think it's, it's a terribly bad thing that you're going to get two Mother's Day sermons this year. Not one, you're getting two. You are double dipping on Mother's Day sermons this year. And as far as I know, you're the only church in the world that's doing it. That's pretty cool. We're celebrating our mothers this Sunday, and we're going to talk about them, how important they are, not only to us, but to this whole church. And I think it's a really cool thing because, because I can bring it up and have you thinking this week, and then in a couple of weeks, the boss will come and he'll really hammer you about it. So I think it'll be good. Uh, Alabama, my home team, they had a, a, a football coach named Paul Bear Bryant. And Paul Bear Bryant was from Arkansas. Late in his career, after he'd already established his name, he recorded an ad with a telephone company, and it had a big impact on the whole nation. The whole premise was, we're going to get a well-known, big, burly, big, tough guy, and we're going to have him say, basically, you need to call your mama. And he did. He told that. But on the last day of the recording for this telephone company, I don't know if it was Bell South or who that it was, he recorded that whole ad, and at the end, he ad-libbed an extra line. He said, call your mama. I sure do wish that I could call mine. And after that day, whoever they were, their sales skyrocketed because he added that extra piece of heart to that advertisement. As much as he had done, as he had climbed to the mountaintop of every record that you could set, that people will want to replicate for as long as they live and won't ever meet the mark that he has. As well known as he was by everybody, he was big and tough until you asked him about his mama. And then that man became a boy. There are a lot of you today that desperately wish that you could go spend some money on your mama and buy her some flowers. Because for a lot of you, every year, you know at this time that you're going to have to miss your mama because... You can't celebrate with it this year. For a few of you, this will be the very first year that you celebrate Mother's Day and you don't have her with you to celebrate. 
And for even fewer of you, you'll circle Mother's Day on your calendar every year and you'll say, man, I really don't want to come to church because I know what's going to be talked about and my heart just can't take it. And what I want you to know as we get started and as we talk about this morning, this topic, I want you to know that there's nobody in the world that I'd rather have be here today than you. Because the witness that you can give about your mother, what she meant to you, the impact that she had on you, and how that you wish that you could have her right now, I can get up here and preach all day, but I'll never have the impact you or Paul Bear Bryant could make with the testimony that they have about their mother. After services, stick around. Talk to your neighbor about the impact that your mother had on you and tell them, I sure do wish you'd call your mama because I can't call mine today. I've got one goal for you today, and I'm going to tell you what it is before we even get started. In every word of what I say, in every line of what I'm saying this morning, I want you to recognize all the wonderful things that your mother does for you and for this church. And I know a lot of times that we take what our godly mothers do for granted, and the reason I know is because as I began to study Samuel, and I, I get at the very first chapter and I see this godly mother, I begin to see there are so many things about my own godly mother that I completely missed out on. And it takes me reviewing this mother of Hannah, Samuel's mother, to realize all the things that she does for not just me, but for the whole church. So I want you to turn me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. And I'm really not going to read the whole text because I already had Jeff do it for me this morning, and I appreciated it. I'm going to read just verse 11 is where we're going to plant today. Look at verse 10 and 11, 1 Samuel 1. Hannah was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow, and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head." Point number one, godly mothers are persistent. Hannah was barren, and as much as she loved her husband, he could have given her a hundred sons, and it never would have amounted to her having a single one. She wanted to be a mother. And the other wife, Penina, would pick and pick and pick until the celebration of going to worship at the temple every year was turned not into a celebration, but instead a day of mourning, Every single year. And I don't know it, but I bet because of the routine, and you would imagine that this routine happened, the whole family dreaded to go to the temple every year. This is the way uh, that it would go. The family would leave for the temple, or leave from their house to go worship God at his temple. Hannah would get a double portion even though she has no children. Her other, the other wife would see and get jealous that her children, that she was getting the double portion and that her husband was totally showing favorites. The other wife would get jealous and she would rub her children in Hannah's face. Hannah would cry, prays for kids, and refuses to, to eat. And then they would go home pitted against one another every single year, but they still went to worship. They still had to look towards doing that every year. And then Hannah says in this prayer, in this verse, she says, it's going to be different 
She makes a vow and she says, God, if you give me a son, I'll devote his whole life to you. And as the priest watches her in pain, and he sees her pray that prayer, nothing but sobs come out of her. She can't even vocalize a word. He says, are you drunk? And I want you to think about how much that that must hurt her. As if one of the elders of the church came to you, let's say somebody close to you passed away, your wife or your child, and they look at you and they come to you, and as you're crying, one of them looks at you and says, look, I'd love to pray for you, but if you can't quit crying, how can I? Are you drunk? I can't imagine. Now I know that I'm just retelling the story of Hannah, and I'm just retelling you everything that Jeff read, but this story teaches a lesson all its own. Just based upon what we've covered this far, I want to read a few points for you. And for every one of these points, you'll go down and I'll go through every one of the eight with you. I'm going to tell you a though that accompanies these points. And I want you to figure out what is this though? What is something that would cause her faith to be hindered, even though all of these things are going for her? She's submissive to her husband though he says the absolute worst things at the absolute worst time. She makes a trip to go worship God at the temple every year, though it brings her to tears yearly. She places her faith and hope in only one God, though her whole nation has abandoned God and is seeking their own way. She turns the other cheek to her adversary, though she lives in the same house as her enemy. She ensures her son will serve the Lord before the boy is even born, though she knows she won't be able to spend time with him as he grows older. She pours out her heart to God, though the spiritual leader she's praying in front of confuses it with drunkenness. She is kind to the man who claims that she's drunk and even explains herself, though he did not take the time to listen to the things that she had to say and be patient with her. In prayer to God, she calls herself a servant. Maybe your text says handmaiden. Three times she repeats it. Though God has not granted her the desire that she wants. Church, if you want to come up with reasons not to be a servant of God, you will find an excuse not to do it and not be persistent in your faith every single time. This is what Satan wants. And he would give you that excuse every time. He does it for Hannah. For every good thing that Hannah does, I can come up with a though, a reason why she should have stopped being persistent in her faith and abandoned her relationship with God for everyone, and she doesn't. She holds on to her faith. She holds on to these things that she does. And everything about this woman is persistent. Not only does her tough situation not prevent her from having faith in God, but it also doesn't prevent her from serving her God persistent. The prayer that she prays reveals her persistence in serving God. I'm going to go back to verse 11 and I'm going to stress one word and I want you to see if you can pick it out with me. 1 Samuel chapter 1 Verse 11, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forgive your, forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor 
shall touch his head. She stresses three times in a verse, in one sentence, that her son and that she is a servant. She said, God, it's your servant here. I'll make a deal with you. You know this servant. My son will serve you as a servant, just as this servant serves as a servant to you. Servant, 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 repeated over and over and over again. It reminds me of a parable in Luke chapter 18. It's the parable of the persistent widow. And in that prayer, this woman goes to a judge that's corrupt. And she prays this prayer. And she begs this judge to listen to her situation and she knocks on that door and he ignores her the first time. And she knocks on the door and he ignores her the second time. And she knocks and knocks and knocks all night until the corrupt judge is so tired of listening to her knock that he just gives her what she wants. And Christ's whole point in that parable is if a corrupt judge will listen to the desires that you have if you bug them enough, How much will a good God that cares for you and knows you personally and created you care when you call to Him? So Hannah knocks and she says, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Please listen to me. I'm a servant. And He heard her. Her actions and the things that she does says she's persistent. Her words and in the things she prays says that she's persistent because she's a godly woman. It reminds me of a story of my grandmother. My Nana has always been the backbone of our family and she's kept us all together. We tell stories about her like folklore because to us she's almost this bigger than life person. And we tell these stories, even though she's still around, we talk a lot of a good gossip about her is what I'm saying. In one of these stories about my cousin Andy, I wasn't even present for. <coughs> but I feel like I was because I've heard it so many times I can hear it. When my cousin Andy was four or five, his parents were getting a divorce. And it, it really did, it, it drew a wedge in the family. And Anna had persistently gotten in this routine of picking up Andy every day from school. She would pick him up, she would talk to him, and she'd drop him off back home. And one day she pulled up in the car on her line to pick up Andy from preschool. She gets him in his car seat. She buckles him in. She looks up at him and Andy says, when my parents break up, am I ever going to get to see you again? And Anna looked up at him and she said, as long as your Nana is alive, you will never have to worry about seeing me again. I am always going to be here. She was persistent. And she's the reason (coughs) my whole family will look and view, all of us cousins will view Huntsville, Alabama, or that little town outside of Huntsville as our home base for the rest of our lives. It'll always be that way. Because she's planted. Her and Papa are planted. And they will always be there. You can count on it every single time. Because not only in the things that she says... Is she persistent? I'm always going to be there. But in her ability to be there and to be present and to be picking us up regularly and for us to know she's persistent. She is a godly woman and I'm thankful that I have her in my life. Point number two. Godly mothers are generational. 
I want you to think with me for a second about the name of this book. The name of this book is what? Samuel. And I've studied Samuel. I've looked at the first and second book. Here's, here's the deal, though. I think it's odd that the name of the book is Samuel, that the book is dedicated to this person who was going to be a kingmaker, that he was going to appoint kings in Israel. And instead of the book starting with a discussion about how Samuel became that kingmaker, it starts a year before his birth with the story of who? His mother. Same thing happens with another really important person you know from the Bible. His name's Jesus Christ. And in each one of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would expect it to start with how Jesus took his place, his rightful place at the right hand of God, but it doesn't start there. It starts before his birth with the story of his who? Mother. I think that that's kind of odd. And I could give arguments why that that's weird all day long. For instance, how many things would I know about Mary if she hadn't carried Jesus? None. How many things would I know about Samuel's mom, Hannah, if she hadn't carried Samuel? None. And yet, for every time that we say those things and we make those arguments, Samuel and Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and John are saying without the generational impact of mothers, you wouldn't know anything about Samuel, and you wouldn't know anything about Jesus either. God chooses otherwise significant people to bring about the whole purpose of his kingdom. Our ladies change the world like waves, change the landscape of the seashore. Billow after billow, year after year, life lesson after life lesson, child after child, they change our world because everything they love, they touch, they love, and they impact, right? That's what our mothers do for us. And to test this point, I'll give you a test. I'm not going to ask for hands. I'm not going to ask uh, for, for an answer. I just want you to think about it in your own mind, and it'll prove my own point. I want you to think if you grew up in the church, who was the person who made sure that you knew that there was nothing in the entire world that came before the Lord and His church? If you grew up in the church, I want you to think about it in a different way. Who was the person that made sure that you got up in the morning and got yourself here and got showered and actually came to church? If you grew up in the church, I want you to think about the person who, when you graduated high school, moved out of the house, got your own job, you were ashamed and hoped that this person wouldn't find out that you hadn't been going to church the way that you should have been. Now, I don't know it, but if you're like me, I would say that most of you would say that it was your mother. I bet seven out of ten people said that it was their mother that did that for them. And I don't think that that's an accident. Hannah did it. I want you to look with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse 11, one more time. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and will remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his hand. Before the boy was even born, she said, he is going to be a servant in church. What she does here is something that 
our mothers do all the time. Not a lot of people know it, but in this day and age, a husband could stop a wife from making a vow. If she made a vow, the husband can say, no, we don't, because she ain't signing just her up. She's signing me up too. He had till the end of the day, and guess who said it wasn't worth the fight for him to get in an argument with his wife about if their son was or was not going to serve the Lord? Elkanah. He said, there's no way in the world that I'm going to fight her over this. Church, I want you to think about that. If that applies to us, the way it looks is like this. The best evangelists that we have in the kingdom aren't rock star preachers. Instead, it's a godly mother. And that reminds me of a story of my own mother. My mama's Campbellite through and through, and my father never went to church much when I was growing up, but you better believe she did, and you better believe her boys did. And you wouldn't know it if you talked to her and just had a conversation with her because she's so good at reading lips, but she's nearly deaf. She, she reads lips really well, but she, she, you can forget a phone conversation. We're going to text is what I'm saying. She can't hear a preacher to save her life. I know that she can't. I know that she tries hard and that she tries to pay attention to these lips, but she can't see and know everything that the preacher says on Sunday morning. She's going to miss some things. But that doesn't mean that she ever stopped going to church. As a matter of fact, not only did she not stop going to church, she made sure her boys went to church. And she would say things like, as long as you live under my roof, you will go to church. I brought you in this world and I will take you out of this world if I feel like it. You're going to go to church. That's what my mama said. And she did it with all three of us. And we went to church whenever we could. And we were at every youth function that we could possibly have gone to. And we were there every opportunity that we have because our mama said so. She is generationally impacting the future of her family. Point number three. Godly mothers are self-sacrificing. As I was studying this text, and, and if you know the story of Hannah, then you probably already know that this could be a little strange. When you see the word self-sacrificing, and I say that that reminds me of Hannah, you may think that that's weird because of something that we see at later in chapter 1. So I want you to look with me to chapter 1, verse 21 uh, to 22. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Verses 21 through 22. Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. When Hannah says that she's going to give her son to the Lord, she means he's going to dwell in the, the priest's house for his entire life. From the time that he was three until, until he was a grown man, he was raised by the priest that accused Hannah of being drunk. That's who she was raised by. And when you look at that point and I say that she's self-sacrificing, you may think that doesn't make any sense. And the reason you don't is because she doesn't look like a self-sacrificing mother. She looks like a son-sacrificing mother, if anything. And I thought the same thing until I looked over to the next chapter. Look with me to chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed in a linen ephod, and his, mother used, and his mother used to make for him a little robe 
and take it to him each year. And when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and would say, May the Lord give your, you children by this woman for the petition she asked for the Lord. So then they would return to their home. This mother, Hannah, wanted to be with her son worse than she wanted anything in her entire life. She wanted that son, remember? And even though she couldn't be with that son, she wanted to give him the very best that she could. So even though there was no way there was, he could possibly have left her house and become a priest, there was no way Samuel could have left the house of this woman and have become the judge of Israel. He had to go live in the priest's house. She said, even if I can't be with my son, he's going to know that he's loved. And he wore the love that his mother had for him on his back every day of his life. He was known as the boy with the little robe. That's what he was known as. And every time he was called that, it would remind him of the love his mother had for him. And every year when she went back to the temple, instead of of not being shown love, he would wear that robe out and he would grow larger and it would get tied around the waist and it would get tied around the arms. And just when it got too snug that he couldn't take it anymore, she had a brand new robe stitched for him, big enough for him to grow into. She showed him the love that she had for him. And over time, that day of mourning, that she and the whole family would dread to have happen of going to the temple... It became a day of celebration because it was the only time of the year that they got to see their husband or their, their son. It reminds me of a story of my great-grandmother. Her name was Thelma Thomas. She was a member of the West Huntsville Church of Christ her entire life, and you better believe that her kids went with her. She had seven children, the last of which was my uh, grandmother, Nana, uh, Jackie Glover. She was, when she was born, her oldest brother was 23. There was a 23-year gap between the oldest and the youngest, which means she had kids out of the house a half a decade and said, sign us up for another one, which blows my mind. But she did that. And my grandfather, Jim Thomas, uh, was a day laborer by trade. And he did, and he did that until he, he started working for the WPA. He worked, got a job, FDR got him a job helping other people get jobs. And he did that all the way until he died. But when my grandmother was four, my great-grandfather passed away. And she remembers little stories about her grandfather. She remembers that he spoiled her well, that she was well-loved by him. But when he passed away, the days of being spoiled had come and had gone. And then you've got my great-grandmother, a woman who hadn't worked to get a paycheck since she was a little girl working in a mill. And what I want you to think about, church, is what in the world would you do if you were a single mother caught in that situation? And she, by the way, never remarried. What do you do when that happens? I'll tell you what she did. She worked jobs and she went to college. During a time in which men heavily out women outweighed women in education, and less than 5% of the population even got a degree. She went, she got a degree, and she got a job, and she provided for her family. She would sacrifice whatever it took to make sure that they were cared for. But here's the catch. Some people would look at the story of my great-grandmother and they would say, she was never the one who made the sacrifice. The real person who made the sacrifice were always her kids. 
because they couldn't be with the mother that they needed to be with as much as they needed to be. That they had a busybody mom who, who didn't have a husband and that had to go to work and she had to get a degree. And they'd say she was never there for the kids that she'd want to. And they can say that all they want. But for me and my family, we will always remember that she was the one who made the sacrifice because there was nowhere in the world that my great-grandmother would rather have been than with her kids. But she had to sacrifice her time because she had to provide for them. It was always her that was making that sacrifice. Today we've studied these examples of godly women in our lives. And I hope that you realize exactly what they mean, not to you, but to the entire kingdom. I've shared stories about Hannah and my own generational influence. And what I hope that you've noticed is that you, as you hear these stories, they'll remind you of stories about your own children. The children that you have that are mothers, or your own mother, or your daughter-in-law, or your daughter, or yourself. And I don't think that that's an accident. Godly women have been raising families for thousands of years, and they teach by example. After all, who taught you how to be a mother? It was probably your mother. And to, who taught her how to be a mother? Her mother, on and on and on till kingdom come. We need to be thankful for our mothers, and we need to strive to be like them. And what I hope that you do today is go home and tell your mother just how thankful that you are. Whatever that your need may be, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing?